Welcome to Season 3 of Artists in Depth, a podcast about mental health and the artistic process. Whether it be in production or education, it's an opportunity for personal reflection, not just for our guests, but for you as well. You can listen to all our podcasts at artistsindepth.com. Let's get started. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada. Embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives. Our guest today is Mariel Pastor. Mariel made the more obvious-than-it-seems progression from entertainment industry executive to mental health therapist, a move she's never regretted. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Portland, Oregon, and an international trainer for internal family systems therapy, also known as IFS, a powerful psycho-spiritual approach developed by Richard Schwartz that brings wholeness and healing to the multiple characters in our minds. Mariel is the principal author of the official training manual for IFS, and she comes to us today with a personal endeavor called Character Mapping, her psychological toolbox that helps actors, writers, and directors build comprehensive character backstories with tools for using the storytelling craft for artistic self-discovery. Our conversation started out with how she works with artists as a therapist and then moved into her work in character mapping and vicarious trauma and the importance of having healthy boundaries between actor and character. Yes, so I do love working with creative types um, because it's alive. It feels very vibrant and present moment focused when somebody's in the creative act and and that's um, just a gift to watch. But when I am um, with storytellers, um, performers, I always start with, well, why are you here with me? What is it you want? So that's that's got to be the first question, because just like in therapy, we can address many different things, and I want to serve the person. So I will ask, let's say it's about performance anxiety or rejection from not getting roles, and yet they they are just so eager to express and contribute their their gifts. So I might ask, um, this is what a lot of therapists do. Well, what have you tried already? <laughs> I'll ask what is working and I'll ask what gets in the way. Now they may tell me some things from the outer world that gets in the way, but I will start listening for, well, what do you say to yourself about that? And what else do you say to yourself about that? Any other opinions you have about the issue? And um, if they're also interested in, and let's say I sense some inner conflicts about how they're approaching performance. Well, they let an example might be that they double down on all their skills and they double down and try to get really perfectionistic. And they're trying really hard, so hard, in fact, that they get so tense because if there's some beliefs and I'm talking to or listening to them and they tell me, I might say, focus on that perfectionistic voice. What's it telling you? How big is it? What would it look like? I can flesh it out in all these different ways. And I'll say, what's it really afraid will happen if you're not perfect? Eventually, I'll ask that. <laughs> and it may go, I'll fail. I'll be rejected. Has that happened before? What do you do with that rejection pain? 
so often the pain is just in there like festering or it oozes out and they feel you know top uh, or toppled by it overwhelmed by it you know so i want to help them with the parts of them that are sensitive to being rejected that have taken on that pain and maybe help them with all the anger they may have and the frustration for not being it whatever they tell me about what happens in performance if somebody feels frozen by performance they get up there and they freeze i will help slow it down and find out again the inner conversation the physiological responses to it and there's a number of ways of um working that out uh concretely either with movement or with items that will uh, represent the inner world concretely so it's not just this heady thing it's not it's not an intellectual exercise but I will help them find the parts of them that constrain around the craft and also the parts of them or their self-energy that feel very liberated and very inspired and can know their tools, but then just soar in the present moment and, you know, inspire themselves and others. So um, that's wonderful that you're doing this stuff. So how did you stumble across or how did you, when, at what point did you start developing character mapping and why? Yeah. So, well, I had the seeds for it in graduate school. I had come from the entertainment business in Los Angeles and Hollywood, first working with actors and writers, um, mostly as an underling, but in a, a big PR firm, management firm. And then I worked for a long time with musicians and had a lot of top names in all of these fields. And I was in LA, so I knew a lot of creatives. Prior to that, I did have my own, you know, just fleeting desire uh, to be an actor. And then I did do some singing and that performance anxiety story, not too different from what I went through when I was frozen. I had a lot of therapy, thankfully. But when I got to graduate school, I just wondered, do artists have to be tortured in order to be creative? That's That doesn't feel right. And I learned, in I'm a marriage and family therapist, so I learned a lot about systems and the interrelatedness of pieces, how we are in our outer world, et cetera. Found IFS. I had the idea for uh, characters early on, the character of the storyteller, um, I wondered about their trauma history. I wondered about their creativity. I wondered about their personality type. So that was in the 90s. I thought it was so obvious what I was trying to do. I didn't know what exactly it was, but I figured this was a voice in me that said, you know, just because you got into psychology doesn't mean no one else has heard of it yet. <laughs> so it was a little, uh, little shaming, a little uh, dismissive. And I just let it go because I thought clearly in the fine arts, they must know a lot about psychology and how to take care of themselves. And they must know about character backstory. And I would give some of the books I read to writers I knew prim primarily and would talk to some performers and I left it alone. Years later, I met my husband who is an actor. He's also a writer. He was on a film. It was back in LA. By then I lived in Oregon, but I was back down in LA. 
And I was just the girlfriend sitting in the car while we were on a shoot and I'm minding my own business because clearly they must know all of, you know, what do I know? And the director, John Grice, actually, who you might know, who's an actor, he was directing this movie called Pickin' and Grinning. I don't even remember what it was I said, but there was something about a character. They were just, it was a long drive. I was, I was just a captive in this car. It was a long drive. And they were musing about the character. And I said something to the effect of, well, you know, I wonder if the character's family had da 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 da. I somehow saw into an aspect of the character. Again, I don't remember what it was about. And John Grice from the back seat went, Oh my God, you are onto something. And that freaked me out. <laughs> that was like 2006. And I was like, It did. And then the next day, when they were getting ready to shoot some scene, he said, and You know, I was talking to Marielle last night and she da 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 da. And then they used it. So I started to develop it. I'd say around, at first I had to get out of my own way. I had a lot of the same sort of, I don't know what this is. What am I doing? But I I love stories. I'll tell you, I, I don't remember exactly when, maybe one of you know, when Heath Ledger died, I was particularly bothered. I know I don't know that it's true. I've tried to find out if it's really true that when he portrayed the Joker in the dark night, that he couldn't sleep, that he was, you know, he was a young man. He was 25 years old. He was doing, uh, you know, he was taking a lot of sleeping pills, whatever else. It, he didn't seem like the big old party goer who's just on a bender. I, I didn't know him, but I was deeply troubled that any performer should be taking on something dark and heavy and not know what to do with that energy. And mind you, I was a therapist at, at this point through all of this. I, I'll just say along the way, I was tracking what actors were saying, what writers were saying about their relationship to their character. And it started to bother me as a fan to be entertained by something because I like all kinds of movies. And I thought, that's not right. Why should the storyteller have to suffer for my entertainment? And so all of these things together just got me going, what is this thing? What is this thing? And I, I created something that would be helping them develop character backstory from my graduate um, program or all, all the things I'd studied, especially IFS, internal family systems, but then to also use some of these same things to help themselves, um, because I, I just don't think the vulnerability inside of us should be used and not attended to for the sake of the craft. I think the craft itself can be a healing vehicle for the storyteller, for how they deal with their um, building the characters and how they deal with the industry. Well said, well said, thank you. So much of what you're saying is really resonating for me, but on a personal level, on a, you know, on a, from a therapist perspective, on a personal level, as an artist, it sounds like it's coming from two aspects. It's, it's, it's the, it's giving yourself, getting out of your own way, giving yourself the freedom and I suppose confidence to step in and go, I can do this. Do you know what I mean? And then once you're doing it to be able to more than three aspects being at once you're doing it to be able to find what is going on within yourself to help you develop the character but also to look after yourself and be conscious of 
different aspects of yourself that could you know that are really exposed and open to damage when you when you're not being you don't have the 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 uh, perhaps internal insight or vigilance to be aware of what's going on but you just want to make sure you do it right do you know what i mean to to your own detriment and and as you say when i was reading about ifs you know i was reading that this the aspects of yourself to protect yourself from the vulnerable parts of yourself is alcohol use you know behaviors you know process addictions and and my whole background is in addiction recovery so you know and a lot of my training is in addiction recovery and that thing of oh there's something vulnerable going on here i need to help myself you know i need to i need to get away from this and if you can imbibe something or behave in a different way that just switches it all off then you know that and of course that brings us back to poor heath ledger you know amongst thousands of others right. who 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 were just you know was really you know drawn towards protecting himself in any way he could yeah sorry alan you were going to say something. yeah just had a question <clears throat> um it was around so the, the vulnerability piece and so when actors get to this place um where they realize um vulnerability is important for a performance i'm talking about younger actors who are learning or training and they go oh i have to use myself um and so, uh, Mariel, what um, remedies or how do you step into that? How do you help the actor step into that vulnerable space? Uh, or or even if it's a writer creating something, because right? I know you don't just work with actors, you work with many creatives. So mm-hmm. speak about that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I found out early on, like I, I researched this when I realized, OK, I'm on maybe I'm on to something. Does is this needed? you know, is it useful? So I was doing some research. I was um, doing some intro workshops in a few cities and I would ask folks, well, what do you do with that, you know, residue, let's call it, with that imprint from a challenging role? Do you de-roll? No one knew what that word meant. And I was shocked. So in, in therapy and psychodramas that we do, in other words, we in our trainings, for instance, we'll do these um, externalizing a situation, meaning that I would play, let's say, your mother and Bill would maybe play uh, the part of you. Actually, I wouldn't, I'd play maybe a, a part of you, Alan, <laughs> related to your mother, and Bill would play another part or whatever else. We'd externalize the inner world. But anytime, even if we did have somebody stand in for your actual parent, we would do that maybe for five minutes, half hour, however much time. And we would make a point to step out of that role. That's de-rolling, enrolling and de-rolling. And I was shocked. No one knew what that meant. So it really points to the, the porous nature of our boundaries, emotional contagion, perhaps, for good or bad, you know, for positive or, or comfortable or uncomfortable roles we might put on, aspects of a character. But to know the difference between me and the character is important. And to have a way to come back to what wherever I am similar to my character, that's important. What I found really um, interesting with some of the actors I've worked with, when they didn't like a character because they didn't like that aspect in myself, the p- performances suffered. They just suffered. Or if, and this happens for any number of people, but 
I'll just say, especially for a lot of females, if they are having to portray something where there's a trauma or there's sex abuse or there's some sort of violence towards them, it absolutely can set up or, or uh, wake up the trauma that maybe isn't finished in them. So I guess I would say to young performers, mind where you are lending yourself. I think it is useful for the character because at the end of the day, these different parts of us are universal. Carl Jung would say that the archetypes are universal. We don't all have each of these subpersonalities. You know, they're they're affected by our culture, our age, and all that. We don't have them all in equal measure to our character, right? But we can find the killer instinct, or we can find the victim instinct, or we can find the betrayer, whatever it is. And the hero, all the also the comfortable, positive aspects, but really know the difference. So you don't lose yourself as you're becoming someone else and you can reclaim yourself afterwards. So that's, again, where the psychology and the storytelling, I know all of us here really uh, recognize that. And so that's what I would help them really look at their own history and honor it before they lend it too casually to a character. So you you would you would go into the the therapeutic piece first before going into the creative piece. Oh, you can go in any direction. <laughs> Start where you can. <clears throat> A lot of people aren't really interested in looking, or I would say parts of them are protective about not stirring the pot because they're wanting to function or whatever's in the pot is so dysregulating. And the thing is, there is hope. It, you know, I don't. I would say this to clients, I'm not stirring the pot because it's there. We're stirring the pot because there's something we can do to help it feel better, to help you, to help relieve the suffering and that the, the medicine is in you. Mm. That self energy is in you. As soon as we find ways to relate to these different parts of ourselves and the burdens they carry, healing happens. So if we can help the artist, the storyteller heal, while the character can be as nuts as they need to be to tell a compelling story, that's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm th just thinking about the work that I do and how it's, I don't go as far as, as you. I, I, there's a line where mm -hmm. I, ha I have to stop because just um, yeah. uh, ethically, it's not right. Well, um, that's true. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I, um, and I, when we get to this place where, um, the actors are saying, uh, or not saying, but it's clear that the vulnerability is being challenged and they're, they're, we're doing this all in character, not as an actor. Right. Once we get to a place where it's not going anywhere any further, it's okay, so now this is your character's narrative. And then they can take it all in somatically as well, come back to the, the monologue. So my point being is that there's only certain a point that I can get to before I say, okay, this is the narrative as it stands for you today. Right. Uh, if you decide you want to get therapy, you could probably go further. Right. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, as you were saying, Bill, <clears throat> you're a uh, you're already a mental health professional with a theater background, and um, Alan, you've been doing this work as well as a coach and as an actor. But people in a lot of places are discovering and and really wanting more help with their emotional health because 
life is hard. And so they're out there reading about IFS or reading about other mindfulness approaches or whatever they can get to tend themselves. Not, not everybody, of course. So we can do all these things to say the character is really separate, but the truth is there is some emotional um, mirroring. There's something called mirror neurons in neuroscience where that empathy is happening. So an audience member can watch a play, watch a movie, and we could say, oh, that's just the movie, but you've got nightmares. You, it, compartmentalizing isn't so easy. It's not really that reliable and it can take a lot of energy to do that. So I think that's where other um, other coping skills, if you will, can be fine until they can go and work it through with the mm -hmm. therapist because a therapist, because things will take as long as they take. You know, it's hard to say something's going to be resolved quickly or that it's going to stay put away, but to give some tools along the way. So when the timing's right, how to enroll and de-roll from a character, how to tend your own history, mm. how to have the support of a community, you know, so that we don't, actors don't have to feel like they're, or performers, storytellers don't have to be alone with their craft, but there's a lot of good things that can come too from playing a character or writing a character. And why not deliberately use the craft for your own well-being if if you have some good safeguards for doing it? Absolutely. I, I was thinking that I was thinking as you were speaking uh, earlier about you know in in you know until relatively recently people were actors, performers, writers uh, were. I, the expression re-traumatizing came to mind and I know it's not necessarily that but if you're developing a character who is either subject to the perpetration of abuse or a character who is a perpetrator of abuse to the point of murder as you described earlier on you're exploring something and until relatively recently you would be on a set with with you know 75 people surrounding you but to all intents and purposes you're alone in that do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You've got mm -hmm. a director who may or may not be able to engage with you emotionally, but you are alone with that. And 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 either, you know, it just it strikes me how important it would be to to have a touch point or to have somewhere where you can de-roll even on a daily basis if if you choose to do that, or to be kept safe from the from exploring those parts of yourself which are, you know, which are so so potentially re-traumatizing and so so difficult to hold and it's interesting what you said just now about from an audience perspective you know you could be watching something which is and you know heavens above these days you can you can just switch on any any device and see the most disturbing material you know portrayed and how I was talking to someone yesterday about how, you know, you may believe you're just witnessing that, but, you know, the vicarious trauma that may be going on, you know, the storage of that somewhere, which is then going to, as they say, come out sideways potentially or, you know, be carried is 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 also really important to, to acknowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's that those mirror neurons again. Yeah. We can see ourselves you know, the potential to see ourselves in someone else, that empathy, Yeah, which is why storytelling, I love to, I really believe this storytelling is the first psychology. It has the power to move people. Yeah. And the audience wants to see themselves on that stage, or you know, even if they're not 
conscious of wanting that mm. we can't help but relate to some level but then mm. for better or worse our nervous system can pick up some of that energy and many people do fine with it but before you know it things have added up <laughs> and it's just you know good emotional hygiene to have some other ways to mm. deal with it and then the nice thing again back to things like internal family systems that have this bigger perspective when we can really see I'm not just this one part of me or this handful of parts of me. I am all this and more, and I can be with it differently and be out in the world differently when I have um, a different uh, capacity to tend to myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's about as good as we can do, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as you're talking, as a, uh... I'm just going back to what I was saying before, and I, uh, and I realize that the work that I do is potentially a gateway to therapy for a lot of actors, um, because it's just making all I'm doing is making them aware of things that they may not be aware of, or they're you know, holding in their in their own conscious and becomes conscious. Right. So it's like I could be feeding you clients. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I I really don't believe everybody has to have therapy. Must have therapy. I feel like. These are great tools for just our self-care in general. Um, so I have this other way into the work, maybe as you're kind of speaking, Ellen, it's reminding me that some people don't want to go there and that's their right. They don't need, it's not up to me or saying preaching about that. So if somebody just wants to study character backstory, I have you know different ways of just doing that, understanding, humans and all these different contexts, these, you know, online programs, people can download it uh, and, and find out about that. However, <laughs> every time I've given a class, it's been mostly about, well, let's just talk about developing a character's backstory. Inevitably, the person's going to start thinking about their own lives. I went to graduate school to learn how to help others. And I found out how important it was to help myself as well. Yeah, I actually realized that into going through six years of uh, training as a psychotherapist and thought, you know what, I'm doing this for me, <laughs> first and foremost. That's so, right. Yeah. Compassion, when it's wholehearted, I think uh, Brene Brown uh, did a lot of research on this, you know, to really be wholehearted and compassionate, we have to include ourselves in that. There is no other. There's no other. We are all connected. Yeah, that's what John Lennon said once. There is no other. We are the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're talking, you're talking in the context of God and something greater than us is going to come and save us. No, 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 no. Right. Well, we do need each other, though. I mean, humanity. And 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 actually, that's one thing I, I think is important to know about why I got into this is that I really believe that the arts and the way that it can tap into beauty is just just as important as ever, if not more so. There's so much, as you were saying, Bill, you just turn on a device and you can be exposed to any number of stories. A lot of it's the news. Mm. You know, we are more aware of what's happening across the globe than we ever would have been before. And, and I just really hope that the storytellers, writers, performers, directors are really caring for themselves as they're telling some really hard stories because there is still beauty. There's still beauty in humanity and it seems to be getting lost. And I think the artists, the storytellers are the ones that carry that forward for us. 
Thank you, Mariel, for joining us today. Appreciate the uh, the time that you took to, to explain what it is you do and how it's helping create the creatives. Been a great pleasure. Thanks to you both. Thank you. If you've been inspired or moved by what you've heard on today's podcast, I invite you to visit our website, artistsindepth.com. There you can sign up for podcast reminders, get in touch with us through email, or connect with other like-minded artists by sharing your thoughts on our blog and joining our community and finding out more about our initiatives. It's free and it's rewarding. Until next time. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada. Embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives.